He used to call it two, the three P's. Play, possession, and position. Football, the people say, what do you do? What are you doing to play? The tactical stand. I can't believe we've actually reached double digits on episodes, but it's going great, and we're really enjoying our time here. I am your host Ayush Roy, and I'm joined by my weekly residents Bhargav Gopal and Hari. Before I get to you, gentlemen, let's let's do a roundup. I think a lot of you guys appreciated um, the roundup that I did of the different leagues uh, last time around, and so this time around, I'm gonna do. The roundup of the FA Cup. We had the FA Cup weekend, FA Cup third round fixtures, which I think is lovely. And the, the 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 thought of the magic of the FA Cup really resonates in the third round when you have big Premier League clubs playing smaller clubs in other and lower divisions. Of course, we had the big story of Marine versus Tottenham Hotspur. Marine in the eighth tier of English football. Tottenham obviously right at the top. Of course, Tottenham won five nil. It was a very weird and very dominated game by Tottenham. But I love the story of the fact that Marine, to try and raise money in the local community, was selling virtual tickets and managed to sell more than three thousand virtual tickets. And the money will now be going to local communities around Marine and Liverpool, where they are based. Otherwise, I don't think we saw any surprises. We saw one, which I'm going to talk about. But Chelsea beating Morecambe. Um, Liverpool beating Aston Villa kids. God knows why Klopp, who's been complaining about fixture congestion, went with Sadio Mane and Mo Salah in his starting lineup. But that's a debate for another time. Manchester United beating Watford just about. Arsenal needing extra time, but still beating Newcastle pretty comfortably at the end. But yes, the one crazy result, and as you say, you do need that, which is why it's called the magic of the FA Cup. Leeds United, and I think that's some topic which. Is actually brought about a lot on mainstream media with the way they play. There's always a good discussion on what they're doing and how they're doing. They lost against League Two side Crawley. They lost three nil, which was a bit of a surprise considering Leeds actually put out a good team. But we're not going to talk about the FA Cup because there wasn't any game that really attracted us on the eye. We of course are going to have the fourth round draw. Later today, we're of course recording on Monday evening. But yeah, let's move on to the games that we're going to analyze today, Bhargav and Hari. And we're not only sticking to England here; we're going to other places in Europe because we've had some brilliant games over the week as football returned all around the continent. Ah, uh, the first game is one which was very surprising, very shocking in its own manner. Because Bargov, very early on in the show, when Bayern Munich beat Borussia Dortmund, I think both of us exclaimed and said, "It'll be very interesting to find the team that breaks Bayern Munich." You know, there won't there won't be that many, but whenever it comes up, it'll be a big thing. Bayern Munich losing three two to Munchen Gladbach. Hopefully, I pronounced that right. Um, the game was very peculiar because usually in most of the games. And we've talked about this as well. That even if Bayern Munich go behind, there's always this thing that 
we'll get the goals. We'll all we'll go. We'll we'll eventually get ahead. We'll eventually win this game. Bayern Munich got Bayern Munich this time, if you can say, because they went two 0 up with goals from a penalty from Lewandowski and a good strike from Goretzka. But then, just the tables turned and they suddenly lose three two with three goals. Uh, well, two goals from Hoffman and eventually the match winner by Net- Newhouse, which was uh, the best goal of the lot, you could say. Bhargav, let's start with you this time. How did Bayern Munich get Bayern Munich? Yeah, uh, firstly, that's an interesting term, actually. It's not a lot of times that, you know, uh, Bayern get Bayern, as you said. Exactly. Uh, I felt that Bayern Munich went into the game knowing that they would, you know, secure a result as uh, their winning streak indicates. And uh, from the very off, I felt that, you know, yeah, although there was, you know, aggression from their end, uh, they had a lot of, you know, fluidity moving on to the flanks. You know, they, they played with fast wingers uh, in, in Sane. And Goretzka, obviously, he, you know, moved back in front, helping out the attack, you know, just making his presence felt, you know, so that Muller and uh, Lewandowski were not, you know, marked and isolated from the chances that they create. But having, you know, scored the first two goals, uh, a sense of uh, complacency, if you can say that, uh, crept into the pine defence. And they, unu- they left unusual holes in their defence for some reason. In, it's, it's not something that you generally observe uh, when Bayern play because they are known, I mean, granted the opponents that they face are a touch lower in quality, um, you know, nine out of 10 times, whether it's, you know, whether they're playing the Bundesliga, whether it's the DFB Pokal or the initial rounds of the Champions League. This time, I felt that, you know, it took, they were not themselves in the sense that um, Alaba and Sule did not do themselves any favours by not communicating. Uh, like we have discussed the role of one central defender playing the backline sweeper, uh, yeah. if we can, you know, if we can term that, where if someone is going to press forward, uh, the other should be able to, so you know, in a snapshot, he should be able to get back, uh, sweep up the balls, because generally it's going, you know, you're going to be opened up by a through ball from a creative player. Or it's going to be, you know, some sort of a floated pass or a grounded cross from the flanks, which yeah. is then, you know, received by the uh, incoming number nine or the number 10. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, both Alaba and Sule did not learn from the first goal. Uh, they left unusually uh, high space in the middle. Uh, and then obviously Hoffman, you know, went on to score. Did learn in the second. I mean, Stindl as a original number nine, slotting in so deep, he was able to exploit the entire defense with just one pass, right? And they did not learn for the third as well. Alaba got drawn out again and again for no reason, good reason. You know, he was moving into the right centre-back role, which Sule had it covered to an extent. He gave up his position, which allowed then, you know, Newhouse move forward and cut into scoring with his right. So, in an entirety, I think... Bayern's defensive organization was haphazard, you know. Uh, Monchen Gladbach gave, gave away their own chances. But Bayern were just exceptionally terrible. And if you could you know, probably sum it up in one line, I think they know that the reason they lost was 
probably their own doing and yeah. you know their own mistakes hmm. hari let's get you into the conversation now because bhargav obviously mentions about the back line do you think that this high line maneuver that they've been playing for a good number of well a couple of years now it's finally come to bite them in the peep <laughs> well uh, for you know a more suitable saying fc hollywood got an hollywood script written over by their opponents this time okay <laughs> so yeah actually you're right in saying about the high line uh, there are some interesting statistics uh, noir has considered uh, from the last 10 games it's his worst run of form right now wow. he has never been at this position before mm-hmm. uh, then at this stage uh, with 15 games in they have already considered 24 goals wow whereas they just considered 32 in the entire 2020 bundesliga season mm-hmm. so as you said uh, people are taking advantage of that highlight but uh, i am pretty sure that uh, they are not going to change it for the simple reason that the highline is actually one of the reasons why why they have been successful as well so and one more reason actually what i, I in addition to what bargav said about complacency uh, what i feel is uh, more than complacency i feel that they were not able to settle into the game even their 2-0 lead that they got was actually gifts from the opposition mhm yep they did not uh, actually you know create their usual chances you have a look the first goal was a penalty due to a handball which you know is a freak incident actually and uh, the second goal uh, though it was well finished by goretzka there uh, the, the ball was again gifted back to them by gladbach defender so if you see uh, the overall position <clears throat> bayern were actually never in the match even if they were 2-0 up you all uh, you felt that gladbach could score one goal and they could you know get back into the match and that's what happened hoffman took advantage of uh, two situations uh, through stindel's balls and he was able to finish them and uh, one big thing in this case is hoffman was uh, daring enough to finish because you know what happens in most of the games people do get into promising situations against neuer but given the intimidating keeper he is they do not take those chances they can't take yeah exactly yeah obameyang has struggled so many times in one on ones against noir during his times but he always used to finish the ones where it was not one on ones <laughs> so i some of feel that uh, stendel was not intimidated by noir and uh, uh, sorry i correct myself uh, often was not intimidated by uh, noir and uh, of course uh, the uh, goal scorer uh, who ended up winning the match for them actually redeemed himself quite well because uh, at the, in the beginning it was him who considered the penalty with the handball very true very true but you know but hari gifts or no gifts uh bayern are a side that know how to protect and see out leads right i mean you give them a one lead they will probably press you harass you dominate the position of the ball because they see the sense of resignation on the opponent's faces and their energy levels and 9 out of 10 times they they close out the games and i think that is where my my statement or my case of why they were complacent gains more weightage simply because a bayern side playing of a, a first choice defense i won't say probably their full strength but then you know the backline of alfonso davis david alaba uh, sule and you know benjamin power are not uh, you know unknown to each other i mean they are people who have played together 
in those defensive partnerships, even if they're if they're not played as a fluent back four at all times, you have three out of four people having that relationship, having that understanding. In so many of the games that have gone by in the in the past past two seasons, so I think you know it was a case of uh, Gladbach spirit probably trumping out you know Bayern's overconfidence. It's it's natural. I mean, see, they were beaten uh, to the extent you know by Gladbach's talent, on and on that basis alone. I mean, there is no reason to say that Gladbach did not deserve this victory over Bayern Munich. It was very much very much fully deserved. And it takes a lot of guts to beat, you know, the, the defending champions of Germany. So I feel that, you know, the, the, the reason why I said that they were complacent is because these were simple, basic mistakes that they felt they could have, you know, captured the ball by using the uh, usual pressure tactic, you know, in by, by uh, congesting the midfield, uh, taking past the ball and either one of Kimmich and Goretzka would, you know, defend and intercept and then move it forward for the wingers to take it through. But the reason, you know, they tried to do that, tried to overcome it on the players, not realizing that Gladbach did have enough quality players other than Stindl, like these two guys stepped up. I think that was a case of complacency in, in, in all regards. But uh, one thing, what I feel is, you know, if you, as you say, there is complacency, then uh, I personally feel that, you know, they would have, it would have reflected in their league record. But uh, if you see, 10, match, uh, 10 matches they have won out of 15. Two of them have ended in defeats. And of course, three are in draws. So, you do, uh, I don't expect Bayern to just, uh, you know, throw away five matches out of 15 in such a situation. I personally feel that their level has dropped down compared to the last season. Which obviously last season were, you know, they were at such a high. It is obviously very difficult to replicate that. But I still feel that uh, their level has dropped a little and you know they need a break, I believe, more than the complacency factor. Hari, I'm going to um, mention one of the first points which you talked about. I'm actually going to talk about that. Um, they haven't kept a clean sheet in the Bundesliga since, and I'm scrolling up while talking to you guys, um, this, they won 5-0 against Frankfurt on the 24th of October. That was their last clean sheet in the Bundesliga. We're in a new year and we're, we're mid-January and we're talking about the end of October. However, guys, this is their first loss in the Bundesliga since the 27th of September. So while we're talking about the fact that they're conceding goals non-stop from end of October till mid-January, they are winning games, they're getting positive responses and they haven't lost a game in the Bundesliga since the end of September, while I was really in intrigued by the discussions both of you just had on uh, the game, on the game and their approach, do you think that this is um, this was just a blip, and that the way they've been performing in the months before, that's what is going to happen for the rest of the season? Because irrespective of all the goals they're conceding, they're winning. And they are still top of the table. Personally, if you ask me, I think the Bundesliga needs a title challenger who can, you know, replicate performances that Gladbach, uh, you know, uh, did in the in their game against Bayern. And it could possibly be Gladbach themselves. You never know. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that you know you need to see the best way to pressure a defending champion is to keep you know chipping away at their heels. Ensuring that you know uh, Bayern are not so far in front. I mean, you expect them to win their games, 
but if you are a title contender say if you are dotman yourself or gladback yourself or leverkusen yourself you would expect to win your games number one that is of paramount importance but additionally when you do face these title challengers these are games that you know that are essentially six pointers i mean you can possibly cut the gap if it's between bayern and dortmund in an hypothetical example and if there's a three point gap between the two it might just come down to the the uh, classical derby that you know that's going to happen in the second time around this year so when that does happen dortmund or leverkusen or gladbach need to replicate the performance that you know gladbach did against bayern and ensure that you know uh, they are able to tighten the screw when it really matters because bayern have had not had a serious contender for some time now everybody you know raises their game up until march or april but then somehow for some reason maybe there's not enough depth not enough quality not enough stars stepping up to the mantle mm-hmm. some reason they just fade away so from that perspective i think you know from a tactical standpoint i just feel that you know these teams should be able to uh, solidify the template when they play their games take the confidence move forward and believe that this is the way to move you know uh, win games in 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 the, in the matches that they play otherwise so that is the only key to beating bayern and if they are there with a two point or a three point gap in april it's probably anybody's game at that point of time yeah um i'm looking at the table right now and um leipzig who are just two points behind bayern could also not take advantage of the situation because they had a big match against borussia dortmund who have not been on good form towards the end of 2020 we all remember their 5-1 defeat at home to stuttgart um but dortmund have hit a bit of form now they've had their players back of course haland was injured uh in december he's back he scored and dortmund ended up beating leipzig 3-1 on the night goal scorers jaden sancho and erling haland got a brace as i just mentioned um hurry Dortmund are now suddenly even though they had a couple of bad uh, performances now find themselves just 5 points behind Bayern Munich do you think that as you mentioned as sorry as Bhargav mentioned that there needs to be a bit more competition do you think that Dortmund can now get a couple of run a couple of results with the way they're playing and certain players getting form back and try and give competition to Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich are leaking so many goals actually this is the problem of Bundesliga you know whenever bayern slip up the uh, other sides always have some problem or the other in in this case leipzig uh, actually have not had that bad a record against dortmund in recent times but when they had to step up uh, they couldn't a uh, dortmund uh, full credit to them i feel uh, sancho after a long time is uh, coming back to form uh, haland is an exceptional player i feel that uh, he'll be uh one of the you know top players in the coming generations who could, who knows he could be even uh, competing with mbappe for top honors later on. so uh, coming back uh, with for dortmund I, i feel that you know they may be able to keep this form for two months however i'm not very sure whether they'll be there in the fag end of the title race because uh, we all know how it eventually pans out uh, some, uh, even two years back they had Uh, some nine pointer lead th- thrown away uh, even uh, you know they are somehow having a problem of uh, stepping up when it matters the most uh, not only dortmund in this case uh, the entire bundesliga 
they have talented players and they are uh, sides who can get that one off result if needed but uh, they are not able to sustain it through the course of a league so mm. and if they are a side there is a side that can sustain then some issue happens and then the manager gets fired i am again talking about dortmund where yeah. they ended up sacking tuchel yeah yeah Uh, but you did talk about that on a show previously. I do remember, and I think another club which didn't take advantage of Bayern Munich losing was uh, Leverkusen, which is kind of on the lines of what you just said: the teams not being able to take advantage and dropping points when ex- when when necessary. But I'm going to move the topic to Bayern Munich right now, Bhargav, and I'm going to ask you a question here. Uh, Alaba's contract runs out at the end of the year. um and it's not looking like he's going to be signing a new one it looks like he's going to leave a lot of clubs are interested uh we you talked about sule saying that he doesn't exactly um gel well with the other defenders and there's a possibility that he might want to move out i don't think bayern munich are also looking to keep him and of course there are concerns about the age of uh, jerome boateng he's obviously been a great servant but he's not that fast anymore and there is a certain age factor here Well, that's these are their three center backs, and they're leaking goals. And there's a possibility that two, if not all three, might not be in the club come the next season. Where do you think? And and now, while they're there, they're leaking so many goals. What do you think needs to happen with Bayern? Do they need a reshape, or do they just need to buy players who can do well in such a high line? Uh, because that's how they are playing at this moment. I believe it's a hybrid of both the elements. Um, as far as the remaining 6 months of the season goes i mean all things considered even putting the defeat into perspective they they're pretty much the you know the stronghold favorites to win the title or titles on offer i mean if you include the domestic cups as well uh, couldn't really see anyone else you know emerging winners uh, in 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 those competitions and obviously they're going to be aiming to defend their champions league crown because They're current, they're the current champions, the reigning ones. So, with all four competitions or all three competitions, you know, kept into perspective, maybe they might, you know, do the season, uh, you know, uh, closing it out with the likes of Alaba, Boateng, and Sule. They're obviously not bad defenders. Uh, one game does not take away the fact that you know uh, they have been reputationally good, you know, for uh, for a lot of time, and they've been good, you know, servants uh, to Bayern Munich. Travel they were winners. just you know yeah. yeah travel winners exactly i mean should you know should put respect on some of those names yeah. but uh, they were awful in this game and it's it's a precursor to what might come and what will not necessarily come uh, you know going forward against you know such quality strong teams so i think the strategy from bayern munich might be to see out the remaining 6 months because alaba can only sign a pre contract and there's someone you know pays a transfer fee so he would be there for the 6 months sule even if his suitors are interested they would be eyeing a january move because you know he does have a few years remaining on his deal boateng's age might see him get released and bayern do have the money considering they have you know revenue streams from across different channels so a transfer strategy built on you know targeting center backs possibly someone like diot upamecano who's been adept to playing in a high line with leipzig might definitely suit the bill at at a team like bayern munich hmm. and why not right ambition counts for something good in the shout. sport very good shout yeah yeah so i think that is this that is the thing that 
I believe from my opinion that they would be mixing it up. Uh, tactically, Hansi Flick will not change a lot of things. Maybe he might work up on the positioning of the defense as a whole unit. Uh, even the stand-ins that might you know appear in in the rotational policy, but uh, long long term maybe the shout is to find a new partner. So Lucas Hernandez, who should be expecting to start in that left centre back once Alaba leaves. So you would have essentially a, a new backline of Alfonso Davis, who's proved himself well. Uh, Lucas Hernandez, a new right centre back, possibly Upamecano, and then Pavard is. Obviously, the long-term uh, project in the right back row. So yeah, I think that's that's what I suppose should happen with Bayern. I think Upamecano would actually be a really good addition to this squad. And obviously, there's there's this very uh, nagging of a thing that there's a good chance he does leave Leipzig in the summer. Where he does end up is a big question mark. But Bayern would definitely benefit from having a player of that ability, especially with the way they play. Um, Bayern Munich currently uh, still at the top uh, with 33 points from 15 games. But as you guys rightly mentioned, it is pretty close because you have Leipzig in second place with 31 points, Leverkusen on third with 29 points, and Dortmund at fourth with 28. So hopefully it gets close because at the end of the day, you don't want a team running away with it the way Bayern Munich has. But lovely conversation, guys. Thank you so much. With that, we move to our second game. And it's a second game, which disappointing for me, but another member on this panel right now is actually going to be really happy about. Yeah, we we to, we mentioned that we're going to talk about the Carabao Cup semi-finals. Obviously, it was a very easy game for Tottenham in theirs. They beat Brentford 2-0. Uh, very comfortable. Mourinho played the way he does love to play, inviting pressure, hitting on the counter-attack, got two goals. Wouldn't say they dominated the game, but in the end, a very comfortable victory. It was the other game which had raised a lot of eyebrows and was very interesting to see how that was going to pan out because they played a really drab derby the first time around, a goalless draw. Yes, I'm talking about the Manchester clubs, Manchester United and Manchester City, playing their second Manchester derby of the season, the second Carabao Cup semi-final. Manchester City obviously had a couple of COVID cases, which is why they had a bit of a break came back, beat Chelsea, which is what we talked about last week on the show. A couple of days later, they beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. Uh, 2-0 winners with uh, goals from defender John Stones and Fernandinho, captain on the night, playing at centre-defensive midfield. Now, I'm going to bring a couple of points which we discussed last time. Obviously, there was no uh, Gabriel Jesus and Aguero. They were both on the bench, but none of them were ready to start for whatever reasons. So there was always this talk about, well, there was definitely going to be a false nine playing in the game. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne played that role against uh, Chelsea, which Hari obviously appreciated and talked very highly about him. This time around, it was Riyad Mahrez, not Raheem Sterling. So I think that was the one thing that really interested me, that Raheem Sterling has usually been giving, given the role of false nine, but then you talk about the two big important games. He's he's started both, but not played as a false nine in either of the games. Bhargav, since you're a City fan, I'm going to start with you. What did you think about this? Well, it's not a, it's not that big a change in formation, but in the change of certain roles in the team. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the team has benefited from uh, a slight change in tactical instructions on the pitch. Uh, it was visible in the game against Chelsea and the form just, the good form just carried on 
in the game against united at old trafford and in my you know uh, observations i would like to keep the uh, nil nil united game in the premier league uh, as a relative comparison to what was different you know in in the uh, carabao cup semi final that was played out midweek so one thing i noticed was um, the role of gundogan we have discussed this you know last time around as well and he was instrumental at this point of time as well right uh, a 4231 originally when he played the nil nil game this time a more advanced 424 where he was you know the shuttler in that uh, in the midfield pivot he shared responsibilities with kevin de bruyne and sometimes the uh, magic if you want to say or the craziness of the city team is that kevin de bruyne could you know sit in as the box to box midfielder and not attack whereas you know his counterpart in midfield gundo and is charging forward to you know help foden and mares and sterling by finishing off you know the chances it's pretty much a surprise yeah. to watch so that was one thing uh, another i believed was the uh, impact of raheem sterling on the right hand side yeah. compared to left hand side i mean look we know that you know he has been beaten to the punch uh, by strong right backs like uh, uh, you know um, timothy fosumensa while at crystal palace uh, a couple of times while at united as well in similar cup games i believe uh, aaron van bissaka since he arrived uh, here at manchester united uh, trent alexander arnold you know uh, pretty good in holding off players not necessarily so in defending but still Uh, Sterling's own, you know, self-confidence might have been lesser than uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. So he's been beaten time and again on that left-hand side uh, to his own deficits and the strength of the right back. So this time he was asked to face Luke Shaw, and you know, even though uh, he did not provide a goal or an assist on the pitch, he was constantly running ragged on that right-hand side simply because he had space to run into. Whereas with Van Bissaka, he would have been intercepted much earlier, you know, before even entering the penalty box. So time and again there were chances. You know, Henderson was tested. Uh, you know, through attacks from the right hand side flank, and De Bruyne swung in the crosses. So, yeah, I mean, I thought you know there were a couple of things that you know reflected very well in this team that played uh, the draft draw against United in the Premier League, and I think United stuck to that same game plan from their nil nil and did not change a lot of things. But you know, change yields risk, and you know, risk yields rewards. and rightly so you know city got uh, the victory on the day yeah the the raheem sterling playing on the right hand side was something i noticed because raheem sterling came up against wan bissaka four times last season and even in the goalless draft draw which happened earlier he started on the left hand side and i don't think he had a good game in all those five matches i thought wan bissaka did a brilliant job on him each and every time so this decision to make sure that he's not up against one bisaka i know a lot of united fans will be happy and say ha 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 he's run away from that responsibility but it's a smart one because phil foden playing on the left hand side is not a player who's going to try and dribble past one bisaka it's not it's somebody who's going to look to play around make one bisaka think whereas sterling will try and run in wherever he is on the pitch and i thought that was very very interesting but i'm actually going to move on to the mares in the number 9 position because while we saw kevin de bruyne actually make a big uh, contribution in the game against chelsea when you look at stats you won't say mares had a lot to do but i thought his movement was very very significant hari do you see what i'm saying 
do you see do you did you see that from mares in the game well definitely uh, it's uh, the one of the main reasons for that is also mares is a different player when compared to de bruyne their responsibilities are way different of both these players but mares is a traditional uh, right sided player who looks to cut in and shoot uh, well whereas de bruyne has an all round game and even in this match uh, de bruyne was quite instrumental i would say mm-hmm. because uh, actually you know city have two very intelligent and on form players right now in cancelo and stones yeah they actually helped uh, sterling uh, on the right by creating overloads and de bruyne could join them and mares actually was quite instrumental because uh, he could drop deep and you know uh, form even uh, disturb the pivot manchester united pivots mm-hmm. uh, that actually helped uh, city maintaining uh, position i would say uh in addition i also feel that uh, bruno and marshall went to press uh, forward then stones was quite intelligent enough to you know form a back three and uh, be the spare man there yep. and uh, stones was uh, also uh, quite entrepreneurial in taking risks actually he tried to dribble uh, something which i have not seen much from him but uh, stones has actually developed into a very important player something which i did not expect that would happen nobody, any time in manchester nobody city did. and uh, i also feel that uh, as bargavas mentioned gundogan uh, actually uh, benefited from all these things because he got a lot of space to receive the ball from the defense hmm. as a result he could combine with foden and uh, create opportunities so hmm. uh, actually overall if you see city were able to overload uh, the uh, right side and create post chances or they could c- come to gundogan and you know try for opportunities uh, one of those opportunities even de bruyne had in the initial stages where you know they hit the post yep <laughs> united on the other side actually struggled uh, i believe in creating chances from the center hmm. uh, i feel uh, united could have maybe thought of uh, changing their plans from what they actually tried in the previous picture in this uh, in the nil nil draw that happened actually pogba actually was on the left in this game yes and uh, uh, cancelo became uh, an inverted midfield player in this case mm. so pogba was drawn inside and uh, now yeah, they had space on the pogba's favor definitely yeah but i'll tell you what ayush i mean i'll direct this to you because you know obviously the show would benefit from a perspective of Uh, why united were not uh, their their natural self having come into the match with some uh, good run of form as well mm-hmm. now we we have discussed you know the fact that united have should we say reinvented themselves a little bit uh, with the fact that they sometimes press with a front four and you know there is a lot of adventure from the likes of fred and mctominay something that was not visible maybe in 2019 or even you know the earlier stages of 2020 so mm-hmm. uh is was there a specific reason why you know good pacey forwards like rashford and marshall did not you know try to uh, dribble first down the flanks then cut in you know the balls uh, considering the full backs were uh, you know adventurous attacking like cancelo and you know uh, zinchenko and uh, do you think that there was a reason why pogba and bruno were not you know uh, were not you know their usual selves 
is it because they were not supported by McTominay and Fred the way they did in the 6-2 win against Leeds? Because I saw them, you know, with a lot more tenacity, with a lot more intention in the first 10-15 minutes of the game. I mean, did, do you think that you know, that contributed to a lack of creativity? Well, I'm going to first start by saying I don't think United actually had a bad game. Um, I think, especially in comparison to the way United were playing against City last season, I definitely saw improvement in this in the aspect that it was not just sitting back. It was an attempt to get Manchester City, unlike what we saw last season. Even though we did, win, United did win three times last season. I'll start with that. Um, secondly, on your point, it's I agree with you. I think. <clears throat> McTominay was given different instructions against Leeds, where he was told that because Leeds are more open, you can run forward, you can make certain runs, which obviously resulted in him scoring twice in the first three minutes against Leeds. In this game, I don't think he was given that instruction. And I feel that definitely affected the way we played because neither Fred or McTominay, as you just mentioned, were actually helping in the attack that much. And with regards to Pogba, something which Hari just mentioned, which I completely agree with, I think there was a certain assumption that because you have a Pogba and a Bruno, that there would be a bit more creativity in the game. But the role of Jao Cancelo on the right-hand side made it much more difficult for Paul Pogba to play his game. I think if you saw in the first half, Marcus Rashford was making some good runs, trying to get the ball. Whenever the ball was coming to a Pogba or a Bruno, Marcus Rashford was making the number of runs, which I'm sure Pep Guardiola and the Manchester City squad understood and tried to sort out at halftime because Marcus Rashford makes good runs and has good pace. Cancelo playing more forward and moving. With Pogba playing on the left-hand side, it's his duty to go with the player. To, to, to track back, which he was doing to his credit. I know there's been a lot of assumption that Paul Pogba doesn't track back. He was doing it, but that affected his attacking side to the game. That's what I believe went wrong. Um, and actually, before we move on to another, before we move on with this topic, uh, there are a couple of things which I want to discuss, which make a difference in this Manchester United squad when compared to City. I think Maguire and Lindelof had a good game. In general, now I know you can say the goal and they made mistakes on the free kick, which obviously John Stones put forward. But until then, and I don't know whether you agree or not, until the first goal, I didn't know which side was going to take the lead, if you get what I was saying. Because it was kind of, I know City had more possession, but it was kind of 50-50 with you don't know who was going to score first. People were saying Eric Bailly's done so well, why didn't he start the game? I think Eric Bailly, when he knows who the centre-forward is, with a more direct approach, he's much better. But when, that's why I mentioned Mares as a false nine, because that was he was moving around. It was not one static position. That would have confused Eric Bailly. And that's why Lindelof was playing, because Lindelof is a bit more intelligent, understands where the ball's going to be a bit more. But while they did defend well, it's, it's in the crunch moments where you have to defend well. Lindelof completely missing the ball from the free kick. Harry Maguire not trying to get a touch on it, thinking that it's going to go past him and go straight. These are crunch moments where you need to defend well in these moments because in a tight game, this could lead to a defeat or a win at the end of the day. And that's exactly what happened. And so these are a few things which a lot of people would say, Bai should have started, we would have got a result. Um, 
I think that in the end, yes, there were problems, but that was more down to City's gameplay and them doing that well than United underperforming on the day. But I'll tell you what, I mean, uh, I just feel that, you know, United were possibly on equal footing with City until the first goal was, you know, scored from the set piece. I mean, the first half went by without, you know, a, a lot of chances being created on either side. Yeah. And it only took a set piece, you know, which is surprising because United's strongest suit out of, you know, the three departments and uh, City's, you know, weakest suit in terms of scoring from set pieces actually coincided with one another. And the both, both of the goals in the match were scored, you know, via first or second actions from set pieces. Yeah. If you can recollect, there was no, uh, you know, creation of open play with, you know, uh, United sitting deep and then, you know, uh, them hitting on the counter or City grabbing position and then making one, two touches, you know, uh, generating that gameplay to score the goals. Neither philosophy is on the day. Uh, like from, if you if you consider the 90 minutes perspective, I don't think that happened for both teams. It was a difference in the way that both sets of defenses operated. Mm. Right. That's I mean, where I feel that Ruben Diaz has been exceptional for exceptional. True, exactly. And I think that's you know that's possibly a debate for another day because you can spend time talking about you know how Diaz has actually structured Manchester City's defense and in turn also given confidence to a not so confident John Stones. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, because we did mention John Stones earlier in this in the segment. I think, you know, he has benefited a lot from Ruben Diaz's inert leadership as well as the confidence that he gives from a solidified defender as compared to someone like Fernandino, who's a makeshift centre-back, and Otamendi, who was, well, not a centre-back. Let's yeah. just put it that way. So, I think, you know, that United's defensive marking in the game got a little bit out of hand, especially in the second half. In the second half. And until that point of time, even though they were not creating that many chances, I think they had just two or three shots on target in the game. They were still containing and probably looking to take it to, I don't know, extra time, penalties, whatever the, you know, the format generated. But I just thought that, you know, the fact that Pep tried something different on, you know, so many levels compared yeah. to the last time they faced in the Premier League and Ole not doing anything despite, you know, uh, being on a good run of form and seeing the adventurous Manchester United flow forward. He just, you know, pragmatized a lot more than he should have, not making any changes or learning anything from the draft game. And on the day, his side did not show initiative to win the game. It's probably as simple as that from the way I look at things. I think it was, uh, well, obviously it was a game of defences at the end and the game with the better defence won it. Um, but on, on that line also, the people up front for Manchester United did not have the best of games. And I think it certainly affected Ole with the absence of Edison Cavani. Because in the past, with the way we've won games, if you remember the game against Southampton when we were 2-0 down at halftime, he brought on Edison Cavani and we won the game. Talk about the, the last round of the Carabao Cup where Edison Cavani scored the winner in the 87th minute. I think if Edison Cavani was on the bench, obviously suspended due to the uh, racist remarks on social media, Martial would have been off. Martial wouldn't have played 90 minutes. There would have been a def different change. And I think that was where the small difference, and you talk about the changes, 
when Greenwood came on, which was the only substitution which happened with about 20, 15, 15, 20 minutes to play, Edison Cavani would have also been brought into the game. But yes, I completely agree with you. I think that there needed to be uh, more changes early on, but there were not changes Ole was willing to do or things that he thought would change the game in a way he preferred. But um, congratulations to Manchester City, a fourth consecutive Carabao Cup final up against Jose Mourinho. We always love a Pep versus uh, Jose Mourinho match. And that amazingly, guys, is um, all the time we have today. I think we really got into a lot of the details there. That was a very interesting chat. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, before we wrap up, though, I'm going to do a small roundup of the Serie A because things are really heating up there. Uh, we obviously had the big Milan versus Juventus game during the midweek where Milan obviously sitting pretty at the top of the table and Juventus not exactly the best of starts. Juventus, thanks to a brilliant performance from Fernando Chiesa, got 3-1 winners on the day. A very, very impressive victory for them. On the other side, Inter Milan surprisingly losing to Sampdoria midweek. We then had another big game this weekend with Inter Milan involved, drawing two all to AS Roma. Juventus beating Sassuolo with a 90th minute goal from Cristiano Ronaldo and AC Milan beating Torino 2-0. It's getting very, very interesting. Thanks to that last win, even though losing to Juventus midweek, thanks to that win over Torino, that makes Milan sit on top of the league with 40 points. Inter Milan, because they've dropped points in the last two games, now find themselves on 37 points, which is three points behind AC Milan. And I think the biggest winners of the week were actually Juventus in a way. Now, they are seven points behind AC Milan top, but they do have a game in hand. So suddenly, if they win that game in hand, it becomes a four-point deficit, and that gets very interesting. So I did two roundup today, guys. I did FA Cup at the beginning, Serie A at the end. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. It was very interesting to talk about Bayern Munich and, of course, the Manchester Gloves. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, while, you know, discussing tactical uh, insights and analysis does give me joy, uh, the happiest moment of this episode is, you know, you congratulating Manchester City on our victory uh, because it means a lot, you know, coming from you. So oh. <laughs> that, that, was the, that was bound to be the best moment from this episode. But yeah, uh, it's always a pleasure, uh, you know, when we're discussing tactics. Argov is also happy that you won't force him to say that uh, Bruno Fernandes is better than De Bruyne. That was for winning the league. If you remember, that was for winning the league, not for winning the particular game. Yeah, long way to go. And there are some really, really important games in the Premier League this week, which we will obviously be getting into next week when we will be back with episode 11. We're into double digits now, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And come in next week at the same time to hear the next one. See you guys soon.